Hello and welcome to Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. Today I have on Alex Svetsky and we talk about a wide range of topics. Um, but, you know, the overall arching theme of this conversation was just about how important Bitcoin is as a di- disruptive technology um, in fighting back against, uh, you know, government abuses and just any sort of uh, powerful establishment that, that really seeks to oppress people. And, uh, yeah, it was fun to get into. Um, if you want to follow up with me about this conversation or any other one, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, LinkedIn. You know, I'm all over the place. Shoot me an email. Pretty easy to find. If you just search uh, the Tucson Bitcoin podcast, I'll pop up somewhere. Um, but yeah, I'm happy to, to have these types of conversations, explain things deeper, um, talk about bitcoin if you're new to bitcoin i i do post a lot of content on patreon uh for new users new users and uh or just people that are curious and you can get access to that for a dollar i try to make it pretty accessible to everybody um and i just love your support uh on this endeavor to really drive adoption of bitcoin in my community um, fight wealth inequality etc uh hope you enjoy this conversation all right, and we're recording. Good to have you on, Alex. Thank you for having me, brother. Yeah. Yeah, man, you've been posting some good content recently. I've been really enjoying it with uh, your new podcast. That first episode that I saw with uh, Gigi and uh, Breedlove, were pretty, it was fantastic. So um, good to... Yeah, I kind of screwed up the audio, though. But um, <laughs> hey, you know. It is what it is. We've, um, we're going to do a round two in this time. I'm going to make sure it's all right. I've actually got a, I, I recorded with um, American Hoddle and Stoney the other day. Um, so I've got to get that finalized and uploaded, but that'll be a good one. And then I'm doing Bitcoin Atheists. Nice. Yeah. The, the audio is always I interesting. Provocative. Oh, Sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. What were you saying? I was just going to say, I want to do some provocative discussions, kind of one-off. Like, I don't want to do just interview-type podcasts. I just want to sort of have these open discussions with people I really respect and kind of drill into different ideas and concepts and shit. So, yeah, I'll, well, it'll be interesting to see how it, how it uh, evolves from here. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's getting uh, into the podcasting sphere has been really fun for me because it gives me an excuse to sit down with really smart people and just pick their brains for an hour or so. It's been a huge learning experience for me. Um, definitely has been pretty shaping. Yeah. You've been pretty, uh, um, influential on me and my Bitcoin journey. Uh, I think I heard you for the first time on, uh, on peter's podcast and uh and then i really enjoyed your episode with guy um that you did recently that was the death of nuance that one was fun but um yeah how how did you get into uh doing or believing in uh personal sovereignty and you know kind of the uh limitations or or total end of the state as we know it it was a it was a gradual process, man. So like I guess I as a as a young kid, I was always like I came from a broken family, you know, my my, my parents split up when we were young and we you know, we went through that whole rigmarole when we were when we were kids and I was also the oldest the oldest child, so I you know, I kinda had this 
position, I guess, you know, amongst the kids of the family where I had to take care of things and I wasn't as looked after, particularly not like my little sister. Uh, my, you know, my middle brother was a little bit different. He, he was less responsible out of us, but I always had this sort of air of responsibility. And then when I, when I left school and went to university, I kind of left home as well and moved in by myself. And again, I just had this, I had to be responsible for myself. And I didn't, I didn't have really a backstop or someone to help me out or bail me out uh, at any point in my life. In fact, an interesting thing happened early on was I had my identity stolen when I was 20 or something like that. And some dude went, uh, pulled out a credit card on my name and went on a spending spree in fucking Hong Kong and destroyed my credit rating. So I could never get any credit. I could never get any loans. I couldn't get anything. So like I kind of had to literally build myself up from scratch and anything that I ever had, like I had to kind of make it. And it was, I mean, you know, I've, I've made loads of mistakes along the way. Like I've you know, made money, lost money. I've, you know, had fucking great ideas and then I've blown them up by being too brazen and all sorts of stuff like that. But yeah, all throughout my life, just that entrepreneurial part of me just set, I think the foundation for personal responsibility as, as a, as an idea. And then, so, so that was sort of probably one element. The other element that really inspired me was, uh, from an early age, I started looking into personal development. And I think for me, the, the greatest voice in that space is by far Tony Robbins. Like there's all these personal development dickheads everywhere. And particularly like, I mean, he started the industry and, you know, these days, 90% of the clowns out there are just, you know, they're, they're just parroting stuff that he said, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago. And, and they're just, they're, they're losers in real life that go around like coaching other people. Right. So, you know, you've got this sort of epidemic of, dumbass life coaches who uh, don't don't make their own bed but you know tell other people to make theirs and that kind of stuff I find repulsive because you know it's it's a there's no there's no real substance there or there's no authenticity but Robbins is very different like he's walked the walk he's been around for fucking 40 something years he he built that industry single-handedly and he's just got this level of depth about him that I find extremely rare in, in people that I meet. So his whole philosophy really boils down to, again, personal responsibility, you know, and particularly in the, in the fields of psychology and emotional intelligence is, you know, he basically educates people and helps them claim ownership of their lives, their emotions, their outlook and, and helps them, get to being at cause instead of at effect of the world. And, and that had a profound experience on me because I've always, you know, I, I've, that helped me really own everything in my life. Like, you know, I own the good and the bad. Like if I make a bad decision, it's on fucking me. It's not somebody else. Like, so, so I really became repulsed by any sort of blame and any sort of shifting of responsibility onto anyone else. And you know, th those two things, I, I was extremely primed for, I guess, Bitcoin when I came around to actually looking into it more. And as I started, as I started to do that, you know, the, the, the element of personal responsibility that you get with Bitcoin is just, it just aligned with me really, really, really deeply. And I mean, yes, there's risks with personal responsibility, you know, like you, you don't have anyone else to go to and shit hits the fan, but just that, that notion of, it's me it's on me it's not on anyone else just really resonated with me and 
then I guess I can wrap up that journey to now, which is in the last, like, it was funny. I was looking at my audible list today. I've got about 300 books in there and it, it's funny. Like the earlier books were all things like, uh, you know, entrepreneurial and you know, things like hard thing about hard things or zero to one, or, uh, there was, you know, the, the Steve Jobs' story and things like that, or 33 Strategies of War or 48 Laws of Power, like Robert Greene. And it was sort of like personal development and business. But these days it's sort of really evolved into uh, philosophy, ethics, and economics. So, you know, you'll see like Rothbard and Peterson and all that sort of stuff in my in my um, Audible now. So it's kind of evolved to like the next tier of personal responsibility, but within the context of society and human action which you know fundamentally is is economics so so it's kind of like a long answer to your question but like i was primed through entrepreneurship primed through looking at psychology and emotion particularly through the lens of responsibility you know whether you know that sort of categorizes nlp tony robbins's work etc and, and then most recently things like uh the sovereign individual or uh libertarianism anarchism like you know your rothbards etc who basically again put uh, personal individual sovereignty as the locus of everything that happens in society and that's where it all starts from that's where it, you know we, we sort of radiate outwards from there and i just i just it's it's not for me it's not an opinion it's 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 a fact and you know anyone who doesn't believe that i, I, I there's only two things they're either ignorant um or they're uh, they're malicious and it's okay to be ignorant uh, so long as you're willing to you know move away from ignorance and, and learn and that's what i think that you know everyone's path is fundamentally so anyway i'll throw it back to you that's sort of my long answer to the question yeah that's an awesome answer and i didn't know that about you it's it's always interesting to hear uh how people's life circumstances influence them and how uh, different people in a family uh, might respond to circumstances differently. And uh, I, I think it brings up the idea of, um, I mean, there was a few things that I want to talk about in what you, you said, but like the idea of um, ideology be, being potentially driven by personality. I forgot. I, I had somebody on the podcast that, that brought that up um, where, I think it might've been Jimmy song who was talking about that, but, um, but yeah, uh, uh, I, I kind of had a similar experience to you in that regard of like, you know, having a family that was pretty fractured and, and learning how to take care of myself from an early age and take on that personal responsibility. And, you know, I, I think when you deal with a lot of pain early on in life, it, it makes it easier to see, uh, the hypocrisy of what's going on in society and um, some regard too, I think it makes people more vulnerable to, to scammers. And, you know, I, I see a lot of um, our society being driven by scammers. Like I, I think uh, the federal reserve is a big scam. I think the political system's a big scam. I think the media is a big scam um, education, you know, all these things, uh, and Bitcoin, you know, was definitely my big step into the sunlight because, uh, for the first time I was able to have that self-sovereignty, uh, um, and I didn't really realize it at first. It took me a while of getting into it to really like 
begin to scratch the surface of what that meant and what Bitcoin meant um, because there was, I was so indoctrinated into like these different ideologies of, you know, the state being the end all be all. And, you know, this is what money is and, you know, whatever, but, um, mm. but uh, uh, yeah, I, I have a background in uh, social work and that's what I thought was going to be my, you know, career was being a therapist and, you know, working with people in terrible situations. Uh, um, and I realized that the way that our society is built, you know, a lot of the problems are just going to get worse and kind of continue. And there wouldn't be any real solution to those issues unless we fix money um, and really empower people, you know, because I, th I feel like the way that the current mental health and drug addiction field works is it, it, it it's not about empowering people in, in a lot of ways. It's, you know, just, predatorial and a big scam it was yeah. yeah it's it's about perpetuating it's about perpetuating victimhood more than anything else because there's, there's no there's no there's very little profit in the current model that we have like in the fiat system that we live in that there's profit in having dependent individuals not sovereign individuals in a free market paradigm it's it's you know it's profitable to have sovereign individuals now, you know, it, so, so it's basically anachronistic or antithetical to, to the way society is structured at the moment is, you know, if, if it's fiat, like it's all about debt and, uh, you, know, the, you know, placing the burden elsewhere or, you know, socializing the losses or creating victims or creating dependencies, like all of these things are that they basically remove sovereignty from the individual. And, and that's the only way you can technically uh, you know, get ahead or function in a fiat type society where, um, you know, personal agency is just continually eroded. Now that that's not the foundation upon which, um, you know, call it Western civilization was initially built on. Western civilization emerged as the leader because it recognized early on that the individual was sovereign and, you know, it kind of built rules and systems in place that kind of originally emerged with Christianity before Christianity became its own institution, you know, of dogma. But, you know, those sort of principles emerged there. And then, you know, the initial incarnations of the nation state were also, uh, you know, they, they existed to preserve the, the sovereignty of the individual, right? And, but again, over time, they perverted because, you know, the, the optimization was, you know, it started off as protecting your rights to, you know, with this undertone of safety, which then over time, you know, has fucking... De degenerated into you know enforcing safety <laughs> like we will we will make sure you are safe if we have to beat you into submission to make you safe it's like fucking so weird right i was watching this ridiculous video the other day of like this kid's in like a i don't know like it was some sort of pub or like a little you know bedding place or whatever it was and he didn't have a mask on and the security guard fucking choked him out he fucking fell, smashed his head on the ground and he got thrown out of the thing. It's like, for your safety, I'm going to fucking kill you. Like, what kind of a planet are we living on? But that, that, that's all, that's the slippery slope of, you know, eroding all personal sovereignty, individual agency from society. And we end up in a situation where, yeah, we, we no longer have the choice, like responsibility you know, spawns from choice and choices, you know, systematically being removed. Now, you know, part of that you could argue is, you know, 
um, some sort of conspiratorial fucking corruption, you know, with, you know, people in power wanting to maintain power. But, but, but it's also just, you know, we are as much to blame as, you know, the quote unquote overlords, because, you know, we have all gotten comfortable, um, particularly like each generation that's grown up after the prior generation, we've become comfortable with just, you know, getting someone else to do it, like, and not, not actually taking responsibility for ourselves. So we're, we're just as much to blame as the Federal Reserve. We're just as much to blame as the state because we helped empower it. We helped feed it and we helped, um, you know, indoctrinate our, you know, subsequent generations with, you know, the same idea of like dependency on another. Um, you know, we, we've sort of, infected ourselves with this these ideas of rights instead of responsibilities without realizing that you know one person's right is another person's fucking responsibility and and that's it, it's it's really sad and it's really pathetic um you know we've, we've hollowed out society we've got this fucking sheep collectivist you know mob that's running around now that's mindless and soulless and heartless and faceless with weak made up of weak individuals um, and, and that's, you know, that, that can only go for so long, I guess, until there's no one left that wants to be responsible and, you know, the whole thing falls in on itself. And, you know, where, where are we on that time scale? I don't know. Um, but, you know, it seems that this year's accelerated that <laughs> to a large degree. And, um, and I guess the existence of, you know, works by philosophers, whether it's your Jordan Peterson's or your Tony Robbins or, um, you know, or inventions like Bitcoin that they're sort of like accelerating, you know, the, the move back towards personal responsibility and sovereignty again. So, so it's, a, it's an exciting time to be alive, but it's also, you know, evidently a, a ridiculous time to be alive. So it's, it's interesting shit, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. One of the, one of the things that has been coming a lot up a lot in 2020 is there's a lot of people out there questioning um, and really struggling to distinguish what's real from what's false. And I think it's because a lot of individuals have um, these perspectives that are created for them. Um, you know, they turn to like the institutions that are supposed to be trusted for, um, you know, shaping and viewing their, uh, you know, viewpoints on what they should be doing and what's right and what's wrong instead of really deciding for themselves and being educated on it, um, looking around at their community. And it, it's been kind of interesting to, to watch that happen in my community uh, in Tucson, because we have a lot of major structural issues. Like I, I consider Tucson a lot of what is wrong with America because, you know, there's a few industries here there's extreme um, wealth inequality, you know, unfair wealth inequality. So like the industry is dominated by, um, you know, pu one public university uh, that, you know, the public university system's pretty broken. Um, we've got all the defense contractors out here. We've got a large mill, like the biggest air force base. So, you know, you're working for, um, the machine, uh, if you're going to be successful here, <laughs> which is kind of, uh, um, you know, just tough. Um, 
I think. And uh, uh, stepping outside of that, you know, I've found a lot of peace during this time um, in the chaos and not getting wrapped up in all the, the nonsense because I, I, I feel like, you know, I, I pay less attention to the noise going around me and pay closer attention to the people around me and what I see. Um, uh, and I think that's like one of the beneficials uh, or beneficial things about decentralization is, you know, instead of being fed a narrative to believe of what, you know, the world is actually, what's actually going on in the world, you can um, experience, you know, actually experience your own experience of what's happening in the world, you know, and interacting with people and, you know, just being real. Um, so I think that's cool. I mean, it, it just, we, we see it like with people just hating each other, um, ripping signs out of people's yards for, you know, having a belief that's different than theirs. And uh, there's a lot of dehumanization that's going on. It's like, if you believe this, you're, you know, less than human. And, and I think that's yeah. really scary. Um, but yeah. Well, it's, it's, yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a symptom actually of, uh, of again, collectivism instead of uh, individualism. So, um, but by, by, but by labeling an individual um, as part of a collective, you can then attribute, uh, you know, uh, characteristics of the collective on upon that individual without knowing the individual. So, you know, so it's a white person who's a male. So he's immediately a fascist, a misogynist, a transphobe, a fucking homophobe and everything else, irrespective of who the guy is, it doesn't matter, but it's like, it's the identity that matters. And, and this is one of the issues with society. Again, when you, when you remove the individual and you remove responsibility, you can do one of two things. You can prescribe, bad attributes to the group you don't like and on the flip side if you place yourself in a group that um you know you've you know, prescribed as having good attributes you can behave like a fucking lunatic but you're not you know you're absolved of any responsibility because you know of your group identity so you know if i'm part of a minority and depending on you know how oppressed my minority is i can behave like a complete fucking lunatic um and i'm not held responsible because woe is me you know i'm part of a minority um you know someone else is responsible for my uh actions and you know again you have another individual so, so it's it's really fucking poisonous like on the other side you have this individual who might be an absolutely fantastic upstanding you know person um and then they're going to be held responsible for, you know, somebody else's fucking actions. Um, you know, like again, this whole white guilt thing, it's like, okay, a couple of people fucking traded slaves. Um, you know, guess what? The whole fucking world did it by the way. Um, and much of the world still does it today. Um, but no one's pointing fingers at those. They're just pointing fingers at the one they can throw rocks at because, you know, America was the first one you know, to, to kind of, abolish it and, and do something about it and then open up discourse about it. So now we throw fucking rocks at them. Whereas, you know, those atrocities are happening today. Like for example, in China, in Africa and fucking South America, um, in the middle East, but no one says anything about those. So, so it's like, this is again, one of the big problems with removing the individual 
as the the centerpiece of society and moving towards the collectivist ideal, which also ties back into why you know libertarianism or anarch or you know like anarchism is like the natural state um, because it really boils down to the individual being uh, responsible for their for their actions um, and and that's the only thing you really have responsibility over um, unless someone else wants you to pay sorry wants to pay you to take responsibility for some of their things which is what the free market is effectively it's you know i don't want to you know drive my car today so i'll pay a taxi driver to drive me so now he's responsible for the driving but that that's that that requires a transaction you know what i mean so so that's like the the free market that that's where you 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 blend uh anarchism with capitalism and, and that's why i think the natural state of things is, is anarcho-capitalism um and i think that's the closest natural state of human existence and it's it's where we're trending back towards because we're sort of like in a renaissance of um responsibility uh as opposed to you know the the decaying status quo which is this you know world of collectivist rights that is clearly fucking failing like no one can tell me that it's been successful by any stretch of the imagination yeah absolutely i i think a lot of people you know when they hear um about the demonization of a white male or whatever that you know they'll turn their brains off and and be kind of pushing back against it and you know may feel that you know well you know the patriarchy or you know whatever group they label um white males as you know they'll just completely negate it but i i think the important thing to take away from it is like we've seen this happen in history and very devastating terrible ways uh like uh you know when you look at nazi germany and what they did to the jewish people where they just completely demonized a whole people group um and you know took them to the gas chambers and and people might think that's kind of like a hyperbolic example but i think it's really important to to line that out of uh of the dangers of that collective labeling of a certain people group as being really dangerous and the importance of of individualism in it um but yeah uh kind of going towards um anarcho-capitalism as being the natural order of things so you know what we see uh periodically you know throughout history is the government will come in and be very uh heavy-handed with regulations on certain industries um, or outright make things illegal and we see black markets uh, created as a result of it um, because people want and need goods and uh, you know like looking at North Korea which is probably the most extreme example there's a flourishing black market that allows people to eat and without it even though it's incredibly illegal um, without it people would be starving and then like a little less a uh, crazy example in the United States, um, you know, marijuana has been federally illegal forever, and yet just about everybody has uh, smoked it. <laughs> um, and like what I know from, so I, I was having a conversation, so I've worked in like drug treatment uh, for a long time. And, uh, you know, I personally, you know, don't really care for drugs and don't touch them myself. Um, and I don't drink, but 
I believe pretty strongly that, you know, all drugs should be legalized um, and, uh, you know, openly available for people. One, because I think it's safer. So like, I have a lot of respect for what uh, Ross Albert did with, uh, or well, maybe did, allegedly did uh, with the, the Silk Road, because I feel like it made things a lot safer for, for people. Um, uh, but uh, what I know from like being a kid was it was a lot easier for me to get my hands on drugs being illegal than it was to get my hands on alcohol, which was legal, uh, which is kind of, an, <laughs> which is kind of an interesting thing. And so, you know, in me caring about kids, um, I think that it, it would be safer for them if the drugs were legal. Like if, if you could walk into a store and buy heroin, but you had to be, you know, 21 to do it, you know, first of all, it wouldn't be laced with fentanyl, you know, <laughs> it wouldn't be, you know, it, it's amazing to see like how that, that epidemic has just devastated my community. Like it's pretty, you know, we driving through town, it's not unusual to see somebody laying on the ground, uh, you know, with a drug overdose, probably due to fentanyl. Um, because they put it yeah. in everything now. Um, so th they would take that aspect of it away. And then it would, I think it would make it harder. But yeah. Um, so it, it's kind of interesting when you say that anarcho-capitalism is the natural order of things, because I think that's pretty, pretty true. And we just see the examples of it happening over and over again. It's something that is always, it's like trying to, um, you know, regulate and control markets um, is kind of like trying to swim upriver, you know, <laughs> it's like a, a exhausting effort that's going to fail eventually. Um, so yeah, I thought that was kind of cool and interesting. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it always will, because like, the, the thing is that the, if I quote Tony Robbins again, is like that, that which you, um, what was it, that, that, that which you suppress, um, you know, you be, oh man, I can't remember the exact saying now, so I'm going to probably butcher this, but I think it's something like to do with that which you suppress, you know, becomes your obsession. So it's, it's you know, and it was the same with, you know, alcohol prohibition. Like, I mean, again, the, the, and this is, again, the hubris and the arrogance and the ignorance of state-based thinking and central planning is that in in the states, like, arrogance in pro prohibiting alcohol they actually fucking created the biggest mafias in american history like and and in the drug war they created the most violent drug fucking gangs and cartels in history so so they did a thousand times more damage than would have been done if they just got the fuck out of the way and let people do what they want to do Simple as that. So all like, you know, in, in, you know, creating sanctions in, you know, the Middle East and getting involved in everyone's fucking shit there, they created the, you know, most violent terrorists. Like, so, so every time these clowns come in and try and inhibit something, they create a thousand times more fucking problems. The lockdowns are the same thing to try and like beat an invisible enemy. That's a fucking virus. They, they shut down the entire economy. They destroyed everyone's lives. They broke supply chains. And, you know, they fucking destroyed... They, they, they literally hollowed out the entire middle class. They destroyed all the small businesses. 
and they, you know, they, they strengthen the, the technocratic monopolies that now they're beholden to. So it's like, you fucking morons, you, you guys continue to do the same thing every single time. And this is why it's like, it's, you know, it, it will fail. Like there's no doubt in my mind that this whole statist collectivist experiment is going to fail again as it's, you know, failed every single other time. My only concern is that when the clowns blow themselves up again, like how many of us good, virtuous, intelligent people do they take with them? That's, that's my only concern. You know, I, like that they cannot win. They cannot succeed. Um, you know, the, the two biggest dangers is that they chuck a fucking USSR and nuke a stall like those idiots did when they blew themselves up in, you know, Chernobyl. Um, or do they succeed in, you know, creating some runaway fucking AI that makes us all obsolete, you know, in their bid to create a utopia? Like that, that's the two biggest risks here is, you know, they, they either blow us all up in their own arrogance and stupidity or they make us obsolete by trying to, you know, plug us into some fucking omnipresent technocratic, you know, future utopia where uh, humans are second grade. Like it, it's so, you know, the, I, I cannot even fathom the level of stupidity that's required for, you know, somebody to support either of those pathways. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't know. I've just lost any remorse or patience for, um, for support of the state. And, and, and again, I didn't start out like this. Um, this has really accelerated for me over the last year or two. And the more evident the stupidity becomes, you know, in, in the world, like the more I realize that this is, um, you know, the, 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 uh, it's, it's just not going to end pretty. And it also just makes me so incredibly thankful for Bitcoin because that's kind of the one moat. It's the one thing, the one island that they can't touch that, you know, we can sort of protect our wealth. And as the thing falls on top of their heads and, you know, by and large on top of all of our fucking heads, uh, we'll at least have been able to protect our wealth in the process. Mm -hmm. And that is pretty damn important because we're going to need, we're going to be the ones who are having to rebuild the clusterfuck that collapses down the track. And I mean, who better than, you know, people of virtue, of foresight, of good values and of, you know, individual sovereignty. And, you know, that's fundamentally going to be the Bitcoiners. So a ray of hope exists. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, whew, I've, one, one thing that was really eye opening for me uh, was reading the Bitcoin standard and, uh, you know, one of the ideas presented in it was just how these uh, governments through fiat currencies can fund these forever wars. And, uh, you know, in my lifetime, there's never really been a justified American war, you know, that I can point to and say, yes, you know, we did the right thing here. Um, you know, it's, it's been, we've been in Iraq, we've been in Afghanistan, we've been in all these countries that, you know, nobody really knows about, you know, 700 official plus official military bases scattered across the world um yeah you know all funded by the money printer uh ruining devastating people's lives like i know like just something like in conversation with people when you know they bring up like you know how we need to take out these terrorists or you know whatever i just say you know if, if 
some foreign entity came into my country and blew up my family, I'd probably be pretty radical and pissed, you know, and do some crazy yeah. stuff. Um, but, you know, at, at the end of the day, what it comes down to and what I value more than just about anything is my conscious and, and integrity. And so if that means that, um, and I don't, I don't want to do anything like radical or crazy in the sense of like, you know, terroristic activities or you know i'm not like a boogaloo boy or anything like that um but you know when it comes to saying like i'm not going to be complicit in these atrocities uh that's something that i really value and if that comes to you know leading me to being black bagged like i'm kind of growing more and more okay with that because i value um you know i place a lot of value on freedom of thought and expression more than uh uh just the freedom of not being um like there, there's some people that i really look to and respect um in history and there's two that i bring up a lot there's uh cory ten boom um who hid jews in nazi germany and ended up getting sent to the concentration camps as a result of it even though she wasn't jewish uh, there's um, Friedrich Bonhoeffer who ended up dying in uh, a Nazi prison uh, for criticizing the state. Um, there's uh, uh, Viktor Frankl uh, who, mm-hmm. um, you know, was able to attain in just the most horrendous human uh, conditions I, I could ever imagine was able to uh, walk away from it with his, uh, you know, he was able to attain some semblance of personal sovereignty in there. Um, you know, and you read these stories and they're, they're so, so harrowing. And I know that like, you know, I just don't want to be complicit in this. Like the government lies all the time. And like one of the most shocking things that I, I think where I really got sick to my stomach and said, I've had enough of this and I don't want to be complicit in anymore was, um, uh, I was watching an Oliver Stone documentary on uh, the Vietnam War, and uh, you know the official number of casualties uh, by the U.S. government of like civilian casualties in Vietnam still to this day is two hundred and fifty thousand, which is an egregious number, regardless. Um, but the official Vietnamese uh, number of casualties is like somewhere around two million people, and the the dis- yeah the discrepancy between those two official numbers is just mind boggling to me. Um, like even to this, like there's been no real attempt to in uh, the American government from what I've seen to, to say that that was egregiously wrong and we need to do something about it. And there needs to be justice involved with this war that was unjustified where all these innocent people were killed and, um, yeah, and, and well, I mean that would that would require them to take responsibility, right? <laughs> Which ain't gonna yeah. happen. And without um, Bitcoin, there's no way to push back against it. There isn't. Yeah, there isn't exactly. It's funny. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine who I, you know, she she's really dear to me, and it's really strange because she gets all this, and she, you know, she she, you know, she sees all the atrocities of the state. You know, she's like she's starting to homeschool her kids and moving out all that stuff. 
but it's funny she's like you know i don't know how else to fight against this and i'm like i keep telling her just fucking buy bitcoin like you need to defund the idiots that are doing this there's no other way but it's strange because she can't seem to like get her head wrapped around that part like she's like oh how does like buying bitcoin you know stop them and it's it's really unfortunate because I can imagine how many people are out there that sort of see the atrocities of the state, but can't seem to make the connection between the state feeds off fiat money. Like it has to feed somehow. And, and it literally feeds in two ways, inflation and taxation. And the only form of wealth or, you know, you know, money that exists that is immune from both taxation and inflation is literally Bitcoin. <laughs> So by, by doing that, we all take a fucking, we take our resources off the table and we starve the beast. And that's why it's the most powerful form of protest. And I, you know, I don't know what it needs to happen for, you know, people to slow by slowly, like come around to that idea. But like, it's, it's almost, I mean, like buying Bitcoin is, not only something that's good for your financial future and your wealth, but it's a fucking duty. Like if you give a shit about this world, if you give a shit about future generations, if you give a shit about making the place a better, you know, making it a better place for your, for you, your children, your children's children to live. Like it is a fucking duty to be buying Bitcoin and to moving everything you have into it simple as that that there's no other way to win this battle and or to win this war because this ain't a fucking battle anymore um you know the, the battles are with the shit coiners and the you know the forks and the the, the dumb cunts but the, the you know the, the war itself is the separation of money and state and that's the big um that, that's the big picture thing here and i yeah i mean i, I I'm, I'm not i'm not concerned like that this isn't a matter of if I think Bitcoin is going to win because like we have, we have, like I said, this on the podcast with, uh, with Stoney and, and Hardle, I was like, we've got gravity on our side. Like we have physics. We have the second law of fucking thermodynamics on our side with Bitcoin. Uh, the, the other side, the statists and the collectivists and the central bankers, they have a fucking Ponzi fiat scheme. That's, you know, an aberration of nature. Who do, who do you think is going to win that <laughs> on a long enough timescale? That shit is all obsolete in comparison to Bitcoin. The only question again is, you know, do we blow ourselves up before then? Uh, do we make ourselves obsolete with, you know, some stupid AI creation? Uh, you know, do we enslave ourselves, you know, in some totalitarian fucking state? Um, or do we just have to endure another two, three, four, five decades of slavery or, you know, modern indentured servitude until the whole thing collapses? I don't know. That's all it is. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when and what that period looks like in between now and, you know, the, the effective collapse of the state and the rise of Bitcoin. So, yeah, that, that, that's the thing that troubles me and makes me think and wonder. Um, and I don't have an answer or a solution to that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of the most powerful parts of Bitcoin. Uh, most people like me get into it because of the number uh, go up aspect of it. Uh, but yeah, it's I, there. 
so you talked about your friend's roadblock to understanding this, and I think this is a pretty common uh, uh, aspect. So I had the I had this um, awesome guy on the podcast named Mike, Michael Rechtenwald, and he's kind of like a Jordan Peterson type, where he was a college professor that got attacked by cancel culture and um, <laughs> not for being racist or anything, but just pushing back against the totalitarian aspect of it and frequent speaker at the Mises Institute. And, um, but one of the things that he talked about was, uh, and one of the things I find really fascinating is uh, cult ideology. And uh, uh, I, I feel like leaving the fiat system is just as difficult uh, to do as somebody that's heavily indoctrinated in a cult, you know, because they have all this you know, mind control aspects, and I'm not talking, I'm not trying to get like crazy and conspiratorial, but there's just so much indoctrination that goes into it that, that forms your opinion and worldview. Um, And uh, to really jump into Bitcoin, that that has to be shattered. And there has to be like a full on detox from it that I I think is really, really difficult for people. because at the end of the day, people want safety, they want um, security, and it's a really big threat to uh, to acknowledge that the institutions that they've tr- you know grown up to trusting have been abusive towards them. And uh, yeah, it's 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 a really tough one because um, I guess two things there. So. Peterson always talks about this idea of, you know, learning, growing and evolving as a human being uh, requires you to burn off a part of you that existed before. And that burning off a part of you is difficult because you're, you're leaving something behind that, you know, was a part of your identity. Like, again, I'll quote Tony Robbins. You know, he's got a saying, which is the, the strongest force in the human psyche is the need to stay consistent with one's identity and you know we sort of we we develop this identity over time and a big part of that identity development process is these state indoctrination systems uh, which i call schools oh sorry which are called schools and you know we we sort of we, we take these impressionable young human beings who are open and you know interested and unique and diverse and we beat the individuality out of them for 12 years. And we wonder why they come out as fucking mindless drones who have these preconceived notions, notions and biases about how the world works and you know, what, what the state is and that you know, they must be dependent on the state. And you know, everyone sort of comes out with Stockholm syndrome you know, believing that, you know, in order to have roads, we must pay taxes. <laughs> like, you know, Chuck and Aral power, right? And it's it's a it's a it's a it's a difficult leap. You, you you literally need to burn off a big chunk of yourself that you believe to be true all of your life. And and that's some people do it in one fell swoop, uh, but you know by and large most people it's it's an incremental process. They need they need to get there. And I don't know the the, the further down the rabbit hole you got, like I. I have challenges with this these days is like, I'm so far down now that I find it hard to relate to people and even communicate with people on those sort of first steps. I tried to do that with that Peter McCormack podcast recently. 
And I, I think I did a better job of it there, like trying to take it from first principles and, you know, kind of finding a common ground and, you know, having that discussion. So, you know, I kind of try and point people to that discussion now, but it's still, it's still really hard because, you know, p people have to go on that journey and it's, it's much easier to burn bits and pieces of yourself off uh, in the pursuit of truth uh, than it is to burn a big chunk of yourself off. But at the same time, it's one of those, like, can people burn a big chunk of themselves off really quickly? And I would say yes, because you look at someone like Michael Saylor went from no coiner to fucking OG Bitcoiner in the space of nine months, um, you know, or 12 months or however long it took him to really sort of go down the rabbit hole and make that decision. Now that requires a shitload of courage. And unfortunately, courage is also another thing that gets beaten out of us from a young age because you know society wants to opt for conformity over courage um because it's you know it's it's much harder to it's much harder to herd wolves than it is to herd sheep and it's um you know it's it's unfortunately the truth of the again the the fiat and state kind of apparatus or paradigm that we live in so um so yeah, c coming back to my original point is, yeah, pe people need to burn off a chunk of themselves and it's, it's not easy, but the, the benefit of doing that is literally discovering something new. And with something like Bitcoin, the, the benefit is absolutely fucking extraordinary. Like there, there is not a, there is not a contrarian bet that ever existed in the history of humanity that could compress so much upside in so little time that bitcoin does like i think that there's yeah so there's never been a time that so much upside or potential has been compressed into into such a short period of time like bitcoin right so it's we're going to see the transfer of you know all of the wealth from the history of humanity being <laughs> transferred in the next 50 to 150 years, somewhere in there. And like, I mean, I don't even know how, how to describe the, the significance of that. And, 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 you know, once people awaken to that, um, you know, like it is worth burning off 99% of yourself if you have to, <laughs> so that you can have an opportunity to ride that transformation. Like it is, it is so profound. It's not even funny. Yeah. It's, I think when I try and explain Bitcoin to people, I try to explain how it's just as revolutionary as the printing press was where for the first time information could be distributed outside of the uh, um, established monopolies over information and uh mm -hmm. and it may even be more disruptive it just it's uh i mean for somebody that doesn't understand uh you know they they might think that they're listening to foreign language as we're talking about these ideas like we, we talked yeah. a lot about we talked a lot about war and uh you know these wars are funded by printing money um, you know, they're funded by putting a gun to our head and taking our tax dollars. 
uh, you know, shutting down our bank accounts or just taking money um, explicitly out of our bank accounts if we're not paying taxes. And you can't do that with Bitcoin. You know, they actually, if we were using Bitcoin as the money, they would have to justify their actions to us for the first time. And I don't know how long um, uh, because they, you know, we would, we would have to willingly give the money over instead of uh, being so easily coerced into doing it. And that would change the ball game uh, pretty largely. Let's talk about shit coins real quick. Um, yeah, sure. <laughs> my favorite. Yeah. Maybe a good topic to end on. So I, I've been getting blasted by XRP people. Um, so why, why is XRP not the solution? Shit. I mean, I, I've, I've made a video about this saying that, you know, Bitcoin is not, uh, Bitcoin stands against crypto. And like, I like to call it crypto because it's, I mean, Bitcoin is fundamentally a sound money revolution. And, you know, it's, it's the zero to one moment. It is, you know, money is a, you know, it's, it's an omnipresent communication medium that binds us all. It's, it's how energy and time permeates through society. And, you know, it's, it's a single medium fundamentally, particularly if you've got a global money. So, you know, you've got, you've got all these elements which are, you know, money, money is winner takes all. Money is a convergent network. Uh, money is this singular sort of uh, omnipresent fabric that permeates everything. So we're all going to be, end up on a single standard. And, and that standard requires a series of attributes that, you know, nothing else that we have on the planet actually has. And, and you know, Bitcoin has all of them. You know, it, it is fundamentally doesn't have a head of the snake, a head of the snake to chop off. It is, it is perfectly durable. It is perfectly portable. It is perfectly scarce, fixed in supply. It is perfectly, um, you know, recognizable, perfectly homogenous. It is perfectly, uh, you know, divisible. So, so it's got every single attribute that you could want of money. Um, it's, it performs the functions of money perfectly. So it's, you know, it's the ultimate store of value. It's the ultimate uncensorable medium of exchange. And it's the perfect unit of account because we know exactly how much there is. We can run the numbers perfectly. Like there's no ambiguity about it. So it's like, it does it perfectly and you cannot get better than that level of perfection. And then like, most important, it's been placed outside of any, the reach of any one of us uh, or any group of us. So as a result, like we, we, we've got it. Like we, we, we've got the philosopher's stone, uh, if I'm gonna use another Jordan Peterson uh, phrase. So anything else is just fiat again, whether it's government fiat, whether it's from Zimbabwe or the USA or Vitalik or fucking garlic house, whatever his name is, um, or any other dickhead who decides to print their own money. Like all they are is just variations on the same Ponzi scheme you know, and whatever technology they try and claim they have behind it doesn't fucking matter. If the technology is fantastic, it'll end up, uh, you know, leveraging Bitcoin as the form of money uh, and, you know, adding its technology layer on top. That, that's all that's going to happen. Um, and, and that just strengthens Bitcoin's network effect. So it is, it is literally Bitcoin or shitcoin. There's nothing else there. And like, you know, when you hear idiots like Raul Powell, like who I've always thought was an idiot. And I was really disappointed with the whole Bitcoin community when they started licking his balls for the last you know, year. 
um, is, you know, th th that clown just showed his true colors who doesn't understand Bitcoin. He doesn't get it. Uh, he doesn't know what this, you know, he doesn't know what the separation of money and state means. You know, he, he kind of views Bitcoin in the lens of gold. It's like, all right, moron, like if that's how you view it. And then, you know, he tries to describe XRP as copper. What a fucking clown. Like I, I have no remorse for people like that. So it's, you know, I hope he buy. I hope he goes all in on XRP. I really do. I hope he sells his Bitcoin, goes all in on XRP. I hope he becomes an XRP shill. Um, or a, whatever else shitcoin is coming up tomorrow. I hope that he literally goes down that path because then he can, uh, you know, I, I call it natural wealth redistribution. Capitalism is the ultimate natural wealth redistribution because it takes money from dumb and it gives it to smart, which is where it belongs. Um, and, you know, the, the more of that we have, the better. So I'm, I'm happy to buy all of his Bitcoin as he sells it for some other shitcoin. And, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else I can say there about, you know, these, these shit coins, whether it's XRP, whether it's anything. It's like, you know, they, they can do whatever they want, uh, but all of the all of the wealth, all the value of everything that we measure in society is all going to be uh, sucked up by Bitcoin and it's, everything's going to be measured in Bitcoin. So if you think there's a better opportunity than that, um, you're either incredibly stupid or you're incredibly dumb. It's one of the two options. <laughs> so, you know, pick your poison. Yeah, I think that's a that's a pretty awesome explanation. I'm going to use that. The uh, capitalism is the ultimate wealth redistribution. And uh, when I'm arguing with my socialist friends, I think that's a fantastic uh, thing. Well. This was a good conversation. I think it was pretty dangerous. We uh, we covered. Are <laughs> gonna uh, get canceled? <laughs> canceled, or the thought police might come after us for it. I'm surprised Zoom yeah. didn't censor us yet. Touche. We didn't talk about Hong Kong yet, um, so that's why we didn't get censored. But apparently, uh, I've got my. You know, it was kind of funny. I I ran into this really weird um, Chinese cult uh one time and they gave me a it's a it's a weird story but it was an interesting conversation with them they were in the u.s and uh they gave me a hong kong pin that i wear on my backpack everywhere i go um or tiananmen square pin actually even even worse than hong okay. kong um even more of a dangerous discussion but yeah um where where are some good places uh people can follow your work um, I guess Twitter's probably, probably the best. So at Alex Fetsky, uh, my name is spelled with a K S not an X. So A L E K S Fetsky. Uh, and so, so, but that, that's my more brash, abrasive kind of persona on there because obviously you've got less characters. So, you know, and, and I'm always on the hunt for stupidity and wanting to, you know, beat someone over the head with something. So, so that's kind of my persona. And that's how I behave on Twitter. Whereas if you want sort of the more thought out version of me, uh, look at my medium, which is just svetsky.medium.com. And then thirdly, yeah, I've been doing some uh, podcasts and discussions recently on the wake up podcast. So the best way to find that, and you can find all the links across uh, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. But if you just type in anchor.fm forward slash wake up pod, uh, so not podcast, but pod, 
you'll um you'll find it there and you can sort of find all the youtube links and everything like that from there and yeah man that, that's basically the three the three key channels and then obviously for those who know me know that i run a bitcoin dca product called amber and that's sort of my entrepreneurial expression of you know the the, the you know my my passion for this chapter of my life which is bitcoin so if i you know I, that that's the vehicle through which i not only get to talk about bitcoin and represent it but i can actually also help people migrate into it so if you're in australia you can definitely use it and yeah we'll uh we'll also be in the us soon uh, my plan is to be there over the coming few months maybe a little bit longer i don't know we'll see we'll make an announcement soon but hopefully we can help people in the us stack some sats on autopilot uh in early 2021 so that's the plan yeah it's the best way to do it right there um, well really appreciate your time and yeah that was a really fun conversation i think these types of conversations uh, i joked about it being dangerous and you know to some degree it is because you know when you talk like this and you challenge authority um you challenge uh uh societal norms it, it puts you at risk of being uh ridiculed and and demonized and misrepresented and you know i i don't have enough of a a big enough following to really like be in danger of that but you know alex puts himself out there and uh for all those things and i'm sure he gets a lot of heat uh having the thought process and beliefs that he has and you know i i personally i'm finding it more and more worth it you know because if you don't push back against the mob then you know terrible things happen it's just like you know, we look at so many times in history of um, awful things that have happened. Like, you know, we talked a little bit about Nazi Germany and how um, uh, nobody did anything, you know. And, and today we look at it and, and say, well, like, how, how can nobody have stopped the, the genocide of the Jews? And, you know, when I, it, it, it's simple. Like, people push, didn't push back and the people that did... Um, we're imprisoned and I gave a few examples of that and I'm not saying we're quite there yet but um, hopefully we don't have to be hopefully we can have these conversations ahead of time you know to, to prevent atrocities from happening and unfortunately you know we do see awful things happening in our world today you know we see slavery um, that's been a topic that's come up with like you know what Apple's doing you know with creating their smartphones and and fighting against the U.S. regulators trying to ban uh, uh, products created by um, slave labor, and, and that's just where we're at. You know, it's it's dark. It's not pleasant to think about, but you know, for us to really live in a good, pleasant world, we have to have these types of conversations. You know, we have to address what's wrong in our society to fix it. You know, and to acknowledge that it's there and. The coolest aspect of it is, you know, Bitcoin gives people a voice that, you know, typically would get silenced. You know, the greatest example of that is WikiLeaks. You know, there's a huge consensus that Julian Assange should be uh, pardoned, Edward Snowden should be pardoned uh, today. And 
you know, one of the things that has allowed WikiLeaks to survive, the only thing that has allowed them to survive and to push back against government war crimes has been Bitcoin. And that's just like a beautiful, powerful example of this. But yeah, um, if you want to follow my work, I mean, I, I do the podcast, I'm on Patreon, and I would enjoy your support. Um, I, I try to make it really accessible to everybody. I know times are tough right now financially for a lot of people out there. Um, so I'm not trying to make expensive, exclusive comment. I You can subscribe for as little as a dollar a month. And I do that on purpose because, um, one, it's just like a cool way to like have people feel empowered in the community, you know, to, to be able to support somebody that, you know, that they might believe in. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't want to like beg for your money or anything like that. Um, but yeah, you can support me on Patreon. You can send me Bitcoin if you like the conversations I'm having. It's much appreciated. Um, uh, uh, but I mean, I just, I, I want to be a resource for you. You know, if you've got questions about Bitcoin and you want to learn more, it's first time you're wading into this and you're like, oh, this sounds kind of fishy. Like I, I want to explore this topic more. Feel free to reach out to me. I love to have these types of conversations with people. You can shoot me a message on Twitter, on LinkedIn, email me, you know, I'd be happy to set up a zoom call. I had somebody do that yesterday for Thanksgiving and, um, I'm excited to talk to that person. Uh, but yeah, uh, hope you had a good holiday. I uh, hope the government restrictions weren't too uh, hardcore and ruined it. Um, I had a good holiday, uh, and thanks for listening to this conversation.